So let's officially get started here. What's going on, everybody? John on here with you. It is March 21st, Monday, 2022. This is the NHL trade deadline 2022. I want to get into some of all these notes and trades and things, and then we'll get into the uh, today's trades as well. We'll go over some uh, playoff notes, some standing notes, anything else that we want to get into. So I got a lot to cover here, so we'll just get started. So before today's deadline, here are the ones of note that you should know and why these ones matter. So on February 14th, Calgary Flames acquired Tyler Toffoli from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for Tyler Pitlick. The rights to an unsigned draft choice and Emil Hymanen, a first-round pick in 2022 or 2023, a fifth round in 2023, and a conditional fourth round in 2024. So for Tyler Toffoli, the Calgary Flames got all of their stuff done early. At 53 games played at the time, 17 goals, 23 assists, 40 points. Former 2014 Stanley Cup winner with the Kings under Daryl Sutter. That's important because Daryl Sutter is now the coach of the Calgary Flames. They've done their due diligence. They're one of the better teams in the West right now. Toffoli has a $4 million cap hit over the next two years where he'll be about 32 years of age before that's done. So I think it was smart for the Calgary Flames to get their job done early, figure it out, and realize what they needed to do going forward. On the 19th, February 19th, the Arizona Coyotes acquired forward Nick Ritchie and a conditional pick in the NHL draft from the Toronto Maple Leafs for Ryan Dezingle and Ilya Labushkin. So Labushkin gets moved out. You talk about some of the other things going forward, which we will about Toronto and their defensive woes and their goaltending woes. This is one of those things to get them started early, where you can throw in Nick Ritchie and put him in the bottom forward spots with a three or four pair and figure that one out. On March 14th, the Colorado Avalanche acquired defenseman Josh Manson from the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for defenseman prospect Drew Hellison, second-round pick in 2023, and he's a rental for now, but he probably gets signed, signed in the offseason because it's cheaper than $4 million. Manson, 26 goals in his career, 87 assists, 113 points, and a plus 40. So you want to solidify that back end for Colorado. You want to be a team that's going to make damage. In the end of it, not only try to win it this year, but possibly in the next couple of years, Colorado has been making some of those moves to try to go ahead and do that. Uh, the next day, on March 15th, they acquired Tyson Yost. Minnesota Wild got Tyson Yost from the Avalanche in exchange for Nico Sturm. Nico Sturm is someone that you can throw in there to go in the back end as well to get stuff done. And Tyson Yost, pretty good forward. 61 games played this season, 6 goals, 8 assists, 14 points. I think he can get about 20 goals, and he's worth about $2 million through 2024. So for Minnesota, they've done some moves with Bill Guerin as the GM. You know you talked about the buyouts between Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. So for someone to go in there like Tyson Yost and cost less money and still be able to give them some formidability as far as the front lines, probably third and fourth, that makes a lot of sense. Look, there's going to be a lot of dead cap for Minnesota going forward, and we'll talk about that as we go along through some of these things. So interestingly, from a few days ago, we talked about Frank Vetrano on the Florida Panthers in terms of what he could do as far as his shot his dynamite ability to score, and just he's one of those luxury items for Florida right now. So the New York Rangers acquired Frank Vitrano from the Florida Panthers in exchange for a fourth-round pick. So pretty good get for the Rangers. 27 years of age, 2.6 million cap hit through 2023. He's got a really good shot. He can score goals, and he's likely going to be signed in the offseason. Look, Florida Panthers didn't want to get rid of Frank Vitrano, 
But that was one of those ones in the back end of it where there's going to be a bigger move going forward here. And that's what I mentioned in these notes. I'm going to have all these notes in here for you in the blog post. I left that in the chat section below. And I'm going to have the enhanced audio with the uh, recorder in there as well. So, you know, you have the color cast stuff here for now if anyone comes in. But all that stuff's going to be there for you. Florida Panthers on the 16th as well. They acquired defenseman Ben Sherratt from the Canadians in exchange for forward prospect Ty Simonich, a first-round pick in 2023, and a fourth-round pick in the 2022 draft. So Ben Schrott, this is a curious one. 30 years old, 54 games played, 7 goals, 11 assists, 18 points. Yes, he's a physical D-man, and he's probably insurance, but he's insurance for this way. Gustav Forsling took a couple pucks a couple weeks ago down in the legs. Not, not, not near the head, but down near the legs and things like that, where he's taking some body checks, he's taking some pucks. The Panthers want to have a back end in Ben Chirot. He's going to have a cap hit for about $3 million over the next two seasons. So is that something that the Panthers want to do going forward? If they really believe that they can go ahead and win this now, I think Ben Chirot in exchange for a first in 2023 is a lot. I, I don't think of him as more than a bottom six defenseman. But if that really is what they're going to go ahead for, to try to win the cup now, then they really believe they're going to win it now by spending a, a first-round pick in next year. Fourth round is not so bad for this year, but a first round for next year, look, you can sit here and say with the 32 teams that Florida is going to finish anywhere between 28 and 32, so what does it matter? But the Florida Panthers, while they aspire to be the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're not quite there yet, and that is a lot to give up for somebody like Ben Chirot. Also, on the 16th, the Calgary Flames acquired Kelly Arncroft from the Seattle Kraken in exchange for a second-round pick in 2022, a third-round pick in 2023, and a seventh-round pick in 2024. So good on the Calgary Flames for not having to get up a first-round pick for this guy. 31 years old, he's going to be a free agent after the year. 50 games played, 12 goals, 14 assists, 26 points. I think he can hover, honestly, around 20 goals. I think he was pretty good for Nashville when he was there. I know he was one of those appeasements there from the expansion draft that he had to get let go, and Seattle was able to pick him up. So I think for Yarncroc, probably he's going to sign for maybe $2 million or less for Calgary. I'm not sure how much money Calgary is going to want to go ahead and spend, considering, again, you have Johnny Gaudreau, you got Monahan, you got some of these other defensive guys, you got Kachuk in there. You got to get all of them signed. Your crook might be one of those guys that you can get for cheap. He can get you about 20 goals, and he can fit right in about your third line there. So that's good depth there for Calgary. It's also good depth in there, like we mentioned with Tyler Toffoli. To have Yarncroft and Toffoli in there is good two veteran wingers that can get you some goals, and they have some experience in the playoffs, and especially for Toffoli's sake, he's a Stanley Cup winner. So I think it's good for the Calgary Flames in that regard. So here was the big one on the 18th, and this could have been one of those ones that could have been done today on the 21st. But for Tampa Bay Lightning to get Brandon Hagel for a fourth-round pick in the 2022 draft, so Brandon Hagel, fourth-round pick in 2022, and a fourth in 2024 from the Blackhawks in exchange for Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish and two conditional firsts. So this works well for both teams. So let's talk about this in perspective for Hagel first. So 23 years old, he's under team control for two more years. He's going to be 26 by the time the deal is done. It's going to be 2025. So it's just $1.5 million for the next couple of years, up to $2 million for Tampa Bay 
for Hagel, who's only 23. And again, it's going to end at 26 at 2025. So 55 games played, 21 goals, 16 assists, 37 points. He's just a second-year player with tons of room to grow. Now, some people I saw when this deal first went down were saying on the Tampa side, why would you want to give up some picks right now? You don't want to give up this kind of stuff here. This doesn't make sense to give up these first down the line. Well, it does. Because for the Tampa side of things, look at the salary cap hell that they're under. I know Steve Eisman made a lot of moves there before he went to go to the Detroit Red Wings to try to finish that rebuild. When you had Stamkos, Kucherov, Braden Point, Vasilevsky, all those guys that he drafted that turned out to be excellent. They're all signed, so that's important for Tampa Bay. But when you have guys signed for eight, nine, ten million dollars, that is the upper echelon in the NHL. How do you turn that around to make a competitive team with the Phil and with the rest of them? You get guys like this at a $1.5 million cap hit. I'm going to tell you right now, Brandon Hagel's probably a 30-plus goal scorer at least within the next couple of years for Tampa Bay considering what they got on there. Considering the fact that they only had to give up a couple of picks down the line for the conditional first, who cares? And on the other side of the things for Chicago... We don't know a lot about Boris Kachuk. 39 games played, he's 23 years of age, 2 goals, 4 assists, 6 points. Taylor Radish on the other side, 24 years of age, 54 games played, 5 goals, 7 assists, 12 points. So it's conditional picks that they're going to be able to use within the next couple of years. You can say this if you're upset for the Blackhawks for giving rid of Hagel, that the picks can probably be within the next couple of years of the conditional first, which in the 26 and 32 range, because Tampa, likely going for the three-peat now, maybe have a chance to do it again next year. Who knows? Tampa is that good. But look at it from the perspective like this. The Chicago Blackhawks didn't have to give up Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, or Alex Dabrinkit. So their core, I know that's been there long in the tooth, Alex Dabrinkit, is one of those big, big pieces. Who knows about Dylan Strom and all that going forward, whether or not he's going to have to get moved, because I think Dylan Strom is a good piece too. But you didn't have to get rid of Kane, Taze, or Tabrinkit, and you're able to keep that together and get two conditional first on the line. You take that. The Chicago Blackhawks are clearly rebuilding, and their moves will not be done yet, as we'll note as we go farther. So, also, the 19th, Minnesota Wild acquired forward Nicholas Delorier from the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for a third-round pick in 2023. So, for Minnesota, Delorier, 61 games played, 5 assists, 5 goals, 5 assists, 10 points. Career, 41 goals, 41 assists, 82 points. Like, he's a rental of a million dollars. He's likely not going to be able to sign because of the cap. So, the Minnesota, you know, Minnesota might as well, and the Ducks might as well get something out of this, because you talk about, like we mentioned, with Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi, Bill Guerin had to do some work and due diligence to keep his team under there, so to be able to get that, you're not going to be able to probably sign them, you move some stuff on along, you get a pick, and you go forward with that. Boston Bruins, they get defenseman Hampus Lindholm, that was one of the biggest moves from the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for defenseman John Moore and defenseman Uro Verreinen for three NHL draft picks, and we weren't quite sure what those were yet. So John Moore, 32, for Anaheim. Cap hit is about to be $2.5 million for 2023. Ryan, also 23 years old, is a restricted free agent at the end of the year. They're dumping money, obviously, for a rebuild. Hampus Lindholm, right now, 
was a rental for the Boston Bruins until he wasn't. He signed a seven-year extension with Boston. So they feel like Lindholm is going to be one of those guys there on the back end with McAvoy that's going to be able to finish it off. 582 games played, 57 goals, 165 assists, 222 points, and a plus 74. Hampus Lindholm, big, big deal for the Boston Bruins. Also, they're going to want to try to add more pieces. Again, I know this is the defensive side of things, but you want to add more pieces as far as help out Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand. You want to continue to do everything with David Pasternak, whether or not Jake DeBrusque, the young forward, he's been doing really well for Boston. This is another one of those pieces that they can put in there now, sign it an extension, and I will mark that in the notes that he's going to be really good. Signed, I think, for seven years, and I will double-check that one. So that's really good there for Boston, and I think it really works for Anaheim as far as the salary dump. Anaheim going into the season, and we talked about this with a lot of the California teams between the LA Kings, the San Jose Sharks, and the Anaheim Ducks. Now the Anaheim Ducks for a little while there were floating between the second and third spots in the Pacific. They were doing really well and then all of a sudden they lost eight games in a row and it was done. So they figured, you know what, we're not going to be able to hold on to Lindholm. He could be a luxury for somebody else and then he can get signed for a massive extension. So one of the bigger dominoes happened on the 19th. The Florida Panthers acquired forward Claude Giroux, Connor B. Bunneman, and German Robotsov for a fifth-round pick in 2024. So Giroux, Bunneman, Robotsov, and a fifth in the 2024 draft from the Flyers in exchange for Owen Tippett, a first round in 2024 or 2025, and a third round in 2023. So once all that gets finalized, you can put that in there because there's some conditionals there. So Claude Giroux for Bunneman and Robov, and a fifth round for Owen Tippett, and a couple other draft picks coming the way. So Claude Giroux pretty much was like this. He's got all the records in for Philadelphia, probably second and third in most cases. He's 34 years old now. He's got 57 games played this season with 18 goals, 24 assists, and 42 points for Claude Giroux. He's been there for a long time. He wants a chance to win. Now, some people on the other side, and I would agree with them on this aspect, but this is what happens and this is why it happens. Florida was able to get a little bit of a break in terms of what Giroux would cost because Giroux flat out mentioned that he only wants to go to Florida. Not to just go sit in the hot sun and sip mimosas and things like that. He wants to go win a cup. He wants to do it with a team he thinks that can do it right now and that have been the class of the league in Eastern Conference all of this year. Claude Giroux feels like he finally gets a chance to win a championship. So, when teams know that you're only going to one area, they can turn around and not have to give up as much in the end to get a player like that. Claude Giroux, even though he's 34 years of age, he's a solid centerman, he's a solid winger, and they mentioned within, I think, today's game, maybe even tomorrow, that Claude Giroux is going to sit on the right wing side in the first line and Huberto will sit on the second line. So considering the fact that that is going to happen, Florida has an embarrassment of riches in there with Claude Giroux. They're going for it. They're doing it right now. And I think that that's a solid move. And considering all they really had to give up, 
when we look at it, all they really had to give up was Owen Tippett. I think Owen Tippett on the other side of things and the couple firsts, again, they won't matter. Just like we talked about with the Tampa Bay Lightning or Toronto when we're going to go ahead and forward and talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. When you're one of those teams that are already going to be picking between 29 and 32 because you're going to be one of those ones that's going to go far in the Stanley Cup playoffs or at least win a couple rounds, you're not really concerned about giving up a first-round pick considering what you're getting back in a player like that. And who knows? Drew might resign a couple more years there for Florida, and things will be all right. Because he is getting toward the end of his career, but I still think he's at a point where he can get lots of production. When you're, when you're surrounded around talent like that with Barkov, Huberto, Duclair, Verhege, uh, you're doing really well. My only really concern here for Florida is not that forward depth. It's what's going to happen if Aaron Ekblad doesn't come back. They're going to miss him, and maybe they'll make some moves going forward, and we can check some of that as we go along. So Buffalo Sabres, they traded defenseman Robert Haig to the Florida Panthers in exchange for a six-round pick. Again, from we talked about with Aaron Ekblad, this is an insurance policy for Florida, already going around with one of the other defensemen that we talked about. Haig also comes in 48 games, played one goal, seven assists, eight points. He's a rental right now. He's got a 1.6 million cap hit for the season. He's an entry level D. He's going to be depth. Six season, he's played for, he's got 14 goals, 41 assists, 44 points. So I think between that and between Ben Chirot, which I thought the first round pick for Trout was a lot to give up. Haig, I'm fine with that. Claude Giroux, I'm fine with that. Makes a lot of sense for Florida. But they're making sure on the back end, if Aaron Ekblad, if there is some issues there, you got your first line D-man that may not be able to come back, or who knows if he's going to be ready for the playoffs or how things get set with the conditioning and all of that. Florida's making sure they're spending some assets now. They want to go for this. One of the biggest ones... For the Toronto Maple Leafs, again, still on March 20th, just before this deadline, the Toronto Maple Leafs acquired Mark Giordano and winger Colin Blackwell from the Seattle Kraken in exchange for a second-round pick in 2022, a second round in 2023, and a third round in 2024. Brilliant for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They didn't have to give up a first-round pick. Mark Giordano gets to come back home. He gets reunited with TJ Brody. That was the former Calgary defensive pair that did really, really good there with Johnny Gaudreau back in the early days. So the $6.75 million cap hit that you know Toronto can't get there and can't hold because when you have guys like William Nylander sign and John Tavares and Austin Matthews, you can't afford to keep the stuff like that. So Seattle in turn is going to hold 50% of his cap hit. So that makes it where he can slide right in with Toronto. The 38-year-old defenseman, 55 games played, 6 goals, 17 assists, and 23 points. Yes, you can say those numbers are a little bit down there for Giordano. And again, he is aging, 38 years of age. But I wholeheartedly believe it's because he was sitting on the Seattle Kraken team that if it wasn't just for the Montreal Canadiens, I would easily say that Seattle, right now, at this date and time, on March 21st at the deadline, Seattle is the worst team in the league. So you get a chance to turn that around. You get a chance for Toronto to not have to give up a first-round pick to get a solid defenseman who plays defense, bar none. He can fit you in some offense there, but he is job one, done to play defense, and one of those guys that you can plug in and not have to worry about and you didn't have to give up a first-round pick, 
I think that makes sense. I also think Mark Giordano has already expressed interest that he wants to come back next year and still play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think that they can get another extra year in there, and that would make a lot of sense. So for Seattle, look, take the three picks that you get from Toronto, keep part of that cap hit. You're not trying to rebuild. You're building. You're building. That's all you are right now for Seattle, and that's going to be that way at least for two or three more years. Seattle did not get the same kind of luxuries that Vegas did in the expansion draft. And I'm not saying because the NHL didn't give them all the rules. I know there were certain things that they weren't able to get away with that Vegas was. However, I do believe in my heart of hearts that the NHL GMs were wholeheartedly smarter as far as moving guys up and down so that they didn't have to be protected, figuring out which guys to protect, figuring out which contracts to use, that Seattle didn't have all of those same luxuries that Vegas did as far as the expansion draft was concerned. And you can make the argument that Seattle didn't pick up Carey Price from Montreal. They didn't want to also take that cap hit from Vladimir Tarasenko, who's having a little bit of a resurgence there in St. Louis. Those were their choices. But Seattle didn't have all of that same stuff. So take all the picks you can get, learn to build this team, figure it out in two or three years. You have Matty Beniers coming from Michigan, and we'll see what happens in a couple of years. But right now, Seattle... I would imagine, I believe that they're the worst team in the league. They need to build this team, and they need to do it over the course of probably at least three to four years, but within two or three years to figure it out and figure out where to go from there. The Ottawa Senators acquired defenseman Travis Hamanick from the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for a third-round pick in the 2022 NHL Draft. So Ottawa... Travis Hamannick is going to have a $3 million cap hit with his signing bonus before becoming a free agent in 2024. This is a 33-year-old veteran defenseman. Now, I can look at this one of two ways there for Travis Hamannick. He is one of those guys that can be a veteran on the blue line as Ottawa continues to rebuild, or I can also look at it in the other perspective of why the hell would Ottawa take this money and still get a third-round pick in return for Vancouver on the other side of things. But it is what it is. I think Hamannick is still one of those guys that are good. We'll see what ends up happening in Ottawa. Ottawa needs somebody that's going to be able to be on the blue line that they can trust, so I can see that both ways. For Vancouver, I think this is a win, and they're jumping up and down in the streets. Because you can take that money in that cap hit, you can likely turn that around. Look, you got Bo Horvat, you got Elias Pettersson, you got Brock Besser. You have the money already signed in there with the Arizona trade from earlier with Oliver Ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes that are going to be there. You take that third rounder, you take that extra money, and you run away with it, and you don't look back, and then you go into the offseason and figuring out where you can spend that in. Because again, with Hovat, Pedersen, Brock Besser, Ekman Larson, Quinn Hughes, uh, JT Miller if they want to, or JT Miller if he gets traded, and I'm going to go ahead and get that a little bit toward the end as we'll catch back in with some of the last moves that are made before this is closed. I think this makes a hell of a lot of sense there for Vancouver. Maybe there's a little head scratching in there for Ottawa, but I could understand you want somebody with a young team like that to have some back-end stuff. and Maybe you take that and you eat the cap hit. But to get a third and to get rid of the whole contract there for Vancouver, they got to be jumping up and down with joy. So, small one here for the Los Angeles Kings, and I'll tell you why this happened. 
They got defenseman Troy Stetcher from the Red Wings in exchange for a seventh round pick in 2022. You can sit here and say for the LA Kings, why would you go ahead and even do this? Because Stetcher, he is one of those guys that you didn't uh, get a chance to even see much. Probably played 12 to 13 games there for the Red Wings, who was mostly injured, just like Jacob Verona to start the year. Los Angeles Kings did this simply because of one reason injuries. Going into the deadline within the last five days, five days, they had about four or five guys go down. Right now, they're trying to desperately hold in the second position right now in the Pacific. So this makes sense. They need to get a defenseman in there. To give up a seven-round pick is nothing for them. For the Red Wings, you weren't going to be able to keep Stetcher. He wasn't going to resign. So Eisman's going to go ahead and take that seventh-round pick. I couldn't believe on the other side of things when I saw these armchair GMs and say, Oh, I think Stetcher's worth at least a fifth. The guy hasn't really played all year. So be able to take the seventh-round pick, that's a trade. You just take it and you'll be done with it. So the Vancouver Canucks... They got defenseman Travis Dermott from the Maple Leafs in exchange for a third-round pick. This is good there for the Canucks in the sense of, look, we got rid of Hamannick. We want to replace him with Travis Dermott. Travis Dermott is a little younger. Again, you shrink the cap hit from Travis Hamannick. You get a younger Dermott for a year and a half before becoming a free agent. Instead of the $3 million, it's $1.75. He's going to be 26 by the time that's done. He's got a career 12 goals, 40 assists, 52 points. If you follow Steve Dangle on the YouTube side of the channels and the uh, CSN, Sportsnet podcast and things like that, you'll figure out that Travis Dermott was one of those really good guys. He wanted to be a Toronto Maple Leaf ever since he was drafted there. He wanted to be able to stay. He's a really good player, but he's one of those guys that could not crack the rotation on the defensive side of things because you have Hall and you have Lilligren and some of those other guys in there. So Vancouver gets a chance to probably get a better defenseman in Dermott, who's younger with a smaller cap hit and has some experience. And Toronto, on the other end of it, you get a third round back. Again, he fell behind Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren on the Leafs depth chart of the recent weeks because of some defensive liabilities. You talk about some of those giveaways that might have cost Toronto in the playoffs when they lost the series against the Montreal Canadiens. But still, I think it makes a lot of sense on both sides, and Toronto can flip the third rounder for something else. Here's a good one again here for Tampa Bay Lightning. They've made some shrewd small moves, but even though I think the Brandon Hagel move was a big one, they're going to call it small. But Tampa Bay Lightning acquired forward Nick Paul from the Ottawa Senators for forward Matthew Joseph and a fourth-round pick in 2024. This is why this makes sense for both teams. And let's break this down here real quick. The 25-year-old Joseph for Ottawa is going to become a free agent, but he's likely going to sign. He's going to be in a good lead role, where he was probably on a third, fourth line there for Tampa Bay. He's got 221 games played, 37 goals, 33 assists, and 70 points. For the season, he's got 58 games played, 8 goals, 10 assists, 18 points. I think he's a really good player, and I think... In the sense for Joseph, he's going to get a chance to play on that top-end line. It makes a lot of sense. Nick Paul is one of those other guys for Tampa Bay that has a lot of versatility. The one thing that Ottawa needed to do, and again, I'm going to harp on this because Tampa Bay's in salary cap hell. Ottawa needed to retain 44.5% of Paul's money. So now, Paul... 59 games played, 11 goals, 7 assists, 18 points. It's a UFA swap for a UFA swap. 
They knew that they couldn't sign Matthew Joseph. They get a chance to get Paul's services in there. Maybe they get a chance for salary cap compliance reasons to possibly sign him next season for cheap if he wants to stay and he wants to get a chance to play on a competitive team. Going from Ottawa to Tampa Bay is no joke in terms of that. He gets a chance to jump right in for the three-peat run that Tampa Bay hopefully wants to go ahead and get. And I really have a good chance to believe that they can do. Considering you're not going to be able to keep Matthew Joseph at 25, the UFA swap makes sense and a chance for the money to be retained. That's how Nick Paul's services can stay in Tampa Bay. Makes sense for both teams. And I think Matthew Joseph, I hope he gets a chance to work a little bit more there with Ottawa because I believe that kid's pretty good. So, again, it is National Predators acquiring defenseman Jeremy Lozon from the Seattle Kraken in exchange for a second-round pick in 2022. So this was just before the nightcap when I was trying to get all the other stuff done before the trade deadline tonight. So... Nashville, again, this this is how I really feel about this. Jeremy Lozon was really good in Boston. It hasn't really worked out in, for him in Seattle. Again, it hasn't really worked out for a lot of players, so I don't sit and penalize Lozon too much. But Lozon, a second-round pick, and I think Nashville does this right now because they believe that they can win. I know all these GMs are going to sit here and say, well, we're going to believe that we're going to win because if you say that we're going to lose in the first round, the general manager is going to come right at your ass and the coach is going to come right at you and say, listen, why are you saying this and how can you fix the team? So you're not going to sit here and say, oh, we're not going to win if we get this guy. You're going to have to say all those things to window dress. But the fact that they gave up a second rounder for a guy that has played, let's see, 53 games played this year, one goal, five assists, and six points. 129 games played in total, four goals, 13 assists, and seven points. That is a lot to give up, but Nashville thinks that they can use the depth. So a second-round pick, and they can win a couple series, and it makes, it makes sense for them. And that's all I can say about that. Seattle continues to acquire picks because that's what they need to do right now. Now, this is a good one here for the Arizona Coyotes, and I'm going to tell you why here going forward. Dallas, Star, Dallas Stars acquired goaltender Scott Wedgwood from the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for a conditional fourth in the 2023 draft. So, Dallas, this makes perfect sense for them. They can use this because Jake Ottinger needs a break. I mean, you can't have him considering to play all those games like he did when they got the win the other night against the Washington Capitals. The guy's going to die if he doesn't get a... Uh, a break in net for a while and when he's facing all those shots. So for the Arizona Coyotes, they got a pick out of it. They picked up Wedgwood from waivers, and they got a pick from Dallas because they be they desperately need a backup goaltender. Hudobin, all that stuff is out. Ben Bishop, all that stuff is out with the IR and money that you have to pay. So Wedgwood numbers, considering that he was in Arizona, the team's not very good. 29 games played. A 10-14-3 record, a 3-16 goals against, and a 9-09 save percentage. That's good on them in turning a waiver wire into a draft pick. And for Dallas, I don't think that is a bad backup in order to require. I think his numbers were pretty good, all things considering where he played. Those numbers should bump up a little bit considering what's going to go on the back end for Dallas as far as Wedgwood. And it should be able to give Ottinger a spell when he desperately needs it. Arizona Coyotes, we talked about that good job getting for them getting a pick. Uh, here's another one that was interesting to me. And the Winnipeg Jets, they're not quite sellers, but they've made a couple sells and they made a couple buys. And we'll get into the uh, sell that just broke from a few minutes ago as well later in here. 
So the Winnipeg Jets acquired forward Mason Appleton from the Seattle Kraken in exchange for a fourth-round pick in 2023. Mason Appleton had a really good time in Winnipeg. He gets a chance to go back in there, and Seattle gets a pick out of it, which makes sense for them. So 49 games played, 6 goals, 11 assists, 17 points. Again, not too much, but not too bad either, considering Seattle wasn't that great. So 187 games played, 26 goals, 34 assists. That's more like it as far as all that stuff there for Appleton. He's going to fit right in again. I believe he's going to likely return once again. So let's go ahead and put those points in there as well. So it's going to be 60 points for Appleton across the board. I think that's going to make a lot of sense. Arizona Coyotes acquired forward Jack McBain from the Minnesota Wild in exchange for a second-round pick in the 2022 NHL Draft. Uh, this made a lot of sense for Arizona Coyotes in the sense of McBain is one of those guys that was just drafted not too long ago. 6'3", 201, 22 years old, third-rounder in 2018. He hasn't played in the NHL yet. He might be one of those guys that Minnesota can't afford to sign because of the salary cap hell. So this makes a lot of sense. Take that second-round pick, see what happens with them. Maybe McBain has a chance to get a lot of playing time in Arizona, and you can get younger going forward. So trade deadline day. Now we're officially up to it. we got a lot of moves to talk about, and i got some other things to be able to break down as well when we get into it. I want to keep this up here as well so I don't have all these windows minimized. So Washington Capitals, they went out and they made some small moves for depth and things like that. Look, you have to do this because you have Alex Ovechkin, uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Nicholas Backstrom, TJ Oshie, Tom Wilson. You have John Carlson. It is a veteran squad still loaded with really, really good players. So you need to be able to chip in and fill out where you can. So the Washington Capitals on deadline day, they got things started. They acquired forward Marcus Johansson from the Seattle Kraken in exchange for Daniel Sprung, a fourth-round pick in 2022, a sixth-round in 2023. So for Johansson for Washington, 31 years of age, 51 games played, 6 goals, 17 assists, 23 points. Career 735 games played, 141 goals, 260 assists, 401 points. A free agent after this year right now, he's got a $1.5 million cap hit. I think he'll probably end up staying here for Washington. He's someone that you can put immediately on that third or fourth line and fix it. So for Daniel Sprung, on the other side of things, he was a guy, again, 25 years of age. He's been on Washington for a couple of years, but he's one of those depth forwards in there with Nick Dowd and some of those other guys that couldn't get a lot of playing time. 47 games played, 8 goals, 6 assists, 14 points this year. 186 game plays in total, 40 goals, 24 assists, 64 points. So Sprung is going to be a younger forward who should get a bigger role for cheap and probably get some extra picks. I, I imagine he's going to get signed in the offseason by Seattle, or maybe someone else will pick him up. If Seattle's just going to go ahead and say, you know, give me this fourth and give me this sixth, the fourth this year and the sixth next year, Sprung could you know, be free to leave if he wants to go somewhere else or maybe rejoin Washington for cheaper if he wants to. But Seattle, I think he's young enough to be able to get him for a cheaper hit and use him as a building piece going forward. Now, this is another one of those moves that happened a lot for the Arizona Coyotes 
former Phoenix over the year and things like that. I know they're going to have that ASU stadium coming in next year. Now, this matters in the sense of this. I know he hasn't played in a few years, but hear me out on this. The Arizona Coyotes acquired forward Brian Little and the rights to forward Nathan Smith from the Winnipeg Jets in exchange for a fourth-round pick in 2022. This is why this is important. Little hasn't played in the NHL since the perforated eardrum. right? Brian Little used to be a really good player. He was really good on the Chicago Blackhawks. He's won cups and things like that before. He's still got two years left on his deal, 36 years of age. So Arizona is going to take that cap hit, and they're going to get some picks out of it. And this is going to help both teams. In the sense of a cap hit for $9 million, Arizona's not really going to be ready to contend yet, just like we know about. So they're going to swallow some cap for picks. And then Smith on the other end, let's see what happens there for the Winnipeg Jets. He's a center, 6 feet, 177 pounds, 23 years of age, hasn't played in the NHL. Figured that the Winnipeg Jets will throw a... Forward in there in depth, like a center in there in depth that can go ahead and help Arizona as far as the rebuild and probably get a chance in some playing time and see what he can do. So for Winnipeg, this makes a lot of sense of in the sense of you can work towards signing other players. And we'll talk about some of the move, the biggest move that they made going later in here as well. But when you have Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler, and now you have Mason Appleton, who you got back, you're probably going to be signing Appleton for a little bit more money. Connor Hellebuck, some of the other guys on the back end, it makes a lot of sense for them to get all the way out from that little contract in the sense of, can't do much with it, and now you have a chance to free up all that money. So that makes sense there. Small one here, I don't have notes on it, but I'm going to make mention of it anyway. Los Angeles Kings acquire Frederick Allard from the Nashville Predators in exchange for forward Braden Burke. Uh, San Jose Sharks, this was a big one here for me, I thought. Acquired goaltender Capo Kakinen in a fifth-round pick in the 2022 NHL Draft from the Minnesota Wild in exchange for Jacob Middleton. So this made sense in the sense of the next move that was going to be made. And we're going to talk about that here in about 15 seconds. So, Capo Kakinen, 25 years of age, San Jose Sharks, they need a goaltender, they want to be able to back up Reimer, figure out who's in net. Kakinen's probably going to be that starter going into next year for the San Jose Sharks. It makes a lot of sense. 25 games played, 12 wins, 8 losses, 3 overtime losses, 2.87 goals against, which is not bad, and a 9-10 save percentage. Now, for Minnesota... I, the obvious comes to it, right? This is a bigger move coming on the other end of it, and you got right to it. Anyone who thought that this he was going to go here, it makes a lot of sense. Chicago is going to have to get something for him. Yes, I'm talking about the flower. Marc-Andre Fleury. Minnesota Wild get Marc-Andre Fleury from the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for a conditional first. It's a win on both sides. For the Blackhawks, this win is obvious. You get a conditional first just for signing the guy in the offseason. <laughs> Yeah, again, the Blackhawks weren't that great, and maybe you can say they weren't that great, and Flurry wasn't that great, but you have to go back in the obvious and say that the Blackhawks' defense behind him was absolutely terrible. Vegas did him wrong. They knew that they still needed a goalie. They wanted to set in a Robin Laner because they signed him to that extension, and they wanted to say that they were right. They're missing Marc-Andre Flurry. Now Minnesota, on the other end of it, gets Marc-Andre Flurry. This is big for them. They're still in the hunt right now in the playoffs. They're sitting right now in the third seed. So a $7 million cap hit, and then he's going to become a free agent. I would have to imagine Bill Guerin, as soon as Marc-Andre Fleury comes in there, or whether or not they already talked to him on the phone and everything else, assuming once he goes ahead and he's going to back up Cam Talbot tonight, because I'm sure he's not going to start tonight. He's got to get all the way over there and travel. 
Darren's going to go ahead, put him in the office, and say, listen, Mark, can you sign for another year just to be able to back up, you know, start, and then have Cam Talbot back up, and then have Jesper Wallstad, who we signed last year, really high in the draft, which makes a lot of sense. They thought maybe Sebastian Kosa or Wallstad Kosa went to the Red Wings. Wallstad needs some time to season, needs some time there to mature and everything else, figure things out. Marc-Andre Fleury probably comes back in there for an extra year with Minnesota, who wants to go ahead and continue to try to compete and do everything else. Again, they are in salary cap hell. And it's not going to change here for a couple of years. We talked about with Suter and Zach Parisi and the moves that had to be made off the buyout. This is their time and window to go ahead and do this right now. Marc-Andre Fleury, this was the one spot I thought that made a lot of sense. I didn't think that Edmonton would be able to swing something like this. And the only other team I thought that besides Minnesota would be Vegas. But Minnesota makes a lot of sense there. Here's another one that I scratched my head, but who knows what happens with this one. Nashville Predators acquired defenseman Alex Biega from the Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for future considerations. Who knows how that one goes. Nashville wants to get a little bit of uh, defensive depth there. Biega hasn't played a whole hell of a lot. Uh, Biega is a defensive D-man. Again, he hasn't really played. We'll see how that works. Uh, the New York Rangers on the other end of it, they acquired defenseman Justin Braun from the Philadelphia Flyers in exchange for a third-round pick. So Braun and the Rangers, they've been busy during this deadline. Braun, $1.8 million cap hit, then he's going to become a free agent. 61 games played, 5 goals, 11 assists, 16 points. 783 games played in his career, 33 goals, 162 assists, and 195 points. Good thing on Braun, he's a plus 25. So that's going to fit right in there with Adam Fox and everyone else that they got in the defensive side of things. The Rangers have been busy, already with Frank Vetrano, and they have another big move coming up that we're going to talk about here as we're continuing to go down the list. And I have probably a couple other breaks that we're going to go ahead. I'm not going to announce the TBAs, but we're going to try to go ahead and get through all these things toward the end of it because I'm sure the TBAs, by the time I'm done with all of this, won't be anymore. So... The Boston Bruins acquired defenseman Josh Brown in a conditional 7th round pick in the 2022 NHL draft from the Ottawa Senators in exchange for Zach Sinishin and a 5th round pick in 2022. So Brown is 28 years of age. He is one more $1.4 million cap and then becomes a free agent. He can sign and be keep for cheap as the blue line gets reshaped. 46 games played, 6 goal or 46 goals, 6 assists. My, my fault. Let me do this again. Six <laughs> right here because this is wrong. So we're going to leave this like this. So six assists, six points. We'll see what ends up happening with Brown. I think it's going to be cheaper there for Boston to be able to hold on to him and move it going forward. Because again, we talked about it with Brad Marchand, with Patrice Bergeron, Jake DeBrusque, with David Posternock, some of the other money that you're going to go ahead and spend. And now that you have uh, Lampus Lindholm, from Anaheim, you need to be able to shape everything else in there for cheap. Lindholm, again, that seven-year extension, makes a lot of sense to get Brown there for cheap. Zach Sinishin on the other side, he was one of the prospects there for Boston. 14 games played, one goal, two assists, three points. He's a free agent at the end of the year. I imagine Sinishin is going to get a lot more playing time in there for Ottawa, who's still rebuilding. they got some good pieces in there, and they're doing probably much better than the Philadelphia Flyers as far as their rebuild has at least started. But he's going to get a chance to play a lot more, especially now that Nick Paul and everything else is gone. So St. Louis Blues, 
this is a question mark for me. I think this is a clearly a win for one team more over than the other, and this is not just because I'm from Michigan and talking about the Red Wings and things like that. But St. Louis Blues acquired defenseman Nicoletti and forward Luke Wachowski from the Detroit Red Wings in exchange for defenseman Jake Wallman, forward Oscar Sundquist, and a second-round pick in 2023. So I'll put it to you plainly like this. Nick Luddy, 31 years of age, 55 games played, one goal, 15 assists, 16 points. He's got like a minus 25 or something like that. I wouldn't lead too much into that because the Red Wings have been absolutely brutal on defense. You know, about every other night they give up about seven or eight goals. That's just the way that it is. He's a $7 million rental right now for St. Louis, and then he becomes a free agent. Look what Kowski, quite plainly, has not played. He's got grit. He can fight. He can check. He's one of those guys that you would stick on the fourth line on that checking line and nothing else. On the other side for the Red Wings, Wallman, 26 years of age, uh, $750,000 cap hit, so it's going to make a lot of sense for Detroit to be able to get a younger defenseman. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. I would imagine that Detroit will take a chance on him, see what happens, and sign him going into next season. 32 games played, 3 goals, 3 assists, 6 points, and a plus 3. We can use any plus three around Detroit's parts, but I imagine that's going to go down a lot. <laughs> Oscar Sunquest on the other end of it forward, 27 years of age with $3 million next year, and then becomes a free agent. 41 games played, four goals, 11 assists, 15 points. Oscar Sunquest again, not the same amount of points from last year like Robbie Fabry when the Red Wings required him from St. Louis. Really, the only reason why... St. Louis got rid of Oscar Sundquist is the same reason they got rid of Robbie Fabry last year. Too many injury concerns. Sundquist, 270 games played, 36 goals, 51 assists, 87 points. When Sundquist is right, just like when Fabry was right, and he was up until he tore his ACL, he's going to miss most of all of next year too, probably toward the middle of the year. But when Sundquist is right, he can be really, really good. So the fact that the Red Wings pick up a young defenseman, they still got Sundquist for another year, so he'll probably be 28 years of age and then be a free agent. So Eisman can either just move on from that or figure that out. And you get a second-round pick. I love that move for Detroit. Again, for St. Louis, maybe I can understand that you want some defensive help on the back end. And I don't think Nicoletti is a bad defenseman. That was one of those targets when the Red Wings played the Vancouver Canucks on Thursday of the week. They took him out for organizational reasons. So everybody in Detroit knew that he was on the move. Uh, Detroit and Steve Eisman and St. Louis have already made a couple other moves together now with Fabry and now Letty. I think it makes sense maybe for the back end side of things, but this is a clear win for Detroit. I like what's happening there. They still need the rebuild side of things with the young forward and young defenseman and take the pick and you move on. This is a good move here for the Colorado Avalanche. I think a good move for the Montreal Canadiens as well. Colorado Avalanche acquired forward Arturi Lekkanen from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for defenseman Justin Barron in a second-round pick. So why I think this is good for Colorado, Lekkanen is 26 years of age, 13 goals, 16 assists, 29 points. That's really good production considering how bad the Montreal Canadiens are, and he is a plus player on top of how bad they are. He's going to become a free agent. I would imagine Lekkanen, if he's not, because Colorado is, again, they're up against the cap too. Maybe he's going to be gone after the year. Maybe Colorado can sign him for a cheaper term. Again, he's 26 years of age, so you got to take the money while you can get it, so maybe he will be gone at the end of the year. But it's someone that you can throw clearly on that third or fourth line Gets you a lot of damage done already, considering how productive he is. When you're playing with Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, uh, Miko Ratanen, Kel McCarr, 
uh, you're going to get a lot of production in there. So I, I think it fits beautifully in there. For Montreal, on the other side of things, a lot of people don't know about Baron on the other side, Justin Baron. But when I was watching some of these things and doing preparation before the notes when all of this stuff was going down, they were saying that Baron was the second or third highest defenseman in the prospect pool for Colorado, and he's just 20 years of age. Montreal could use that right now. Again, Shea Weber, who knows if he's ever going to play again. I don't believe he's going to. So this makes a lot of sense for them to go ahead and expedite that rebuild a little bit. So I think this is a win for both teams. Because, again, Colorado can't afford to keep everybody. Now, here's where I scratch my head, and I thank God. And I, I think time for his services here in Ken Holland was able to get cups in 97, 98, 2002, 2008, 2008, in the salary cap era, but all the other stuff before that. But I thank God he's gone now, and I thank God Steve Eisman's here. And, and this is why. Edmonton Oilers acquired defenseman Brett Kulak for William Legison in a second-round pick from the Montreal Canadiens. Brett Kulak for a second-round pick? Why? He's a he's a bottom-six defenseman if he even plays at all. So what, what are they doing? <laughs> I, I, I don't understand that one at all. I, I really don't. There There isn't much for Kulak. I know he's a little bit of an irritant there. Maybe he gets a chance for Kulak. He's happy to be able to go to a playoff team, and considering where the Canadians are going to be. But that is a hell of a lot to give up for some guy that's barely played and is a bottom-six D-man. So I have to believe, again, you know, you're strapped for cap cash as far as Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Zach Hyman and some of the other moves that you already made. Cody Ceci, I don't know how much that's all worked out. But you're strapped, but that's the move that you want to go ahead and make to try to get Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to stay? I don't know about that one, Ken. Don't agree there. Uh, Ken Holland, or Ken Holland, Colorado Avalanche have acquired Andrew Cogliano from the San Jose Sharks for a fourth-round pick. I know Cogliano is getting a little long in the tooth there, but Joe Sackick, I think he's going to fit in just fine there, Cogliano, on that fourth line. He's still a speed merchant at 35 years of age. That's a good signing for them, just be a good veteran forward that can fit on that bottom six, bottom nine line and uh, get the job done there. So Washington Capitals acquire winger Johan Larson from the Arizona Coyotes for a third-round pick. Arizona, in return, is going to retain half his salary. So this says the 29-year-old in exchange for a third. I'm going to take this off my notes because I already have that. Winnipeg Jets get Zach Sanford. Arizona Coyotes line a fifth-round pick in the 2022 NHL Draft. Montreal Canadiens get center Nate Shar from the New Jersey Devils in exchange for the Hamburglar, Andrew Hammond. So, wonder why he's gone there. I thought Hamburglar was doing pretty good there. So, let me get into a couple other trades that are official here. I know I have one rumored one that is already done, but the terms are not done. So, if I get terms that are... Oh, wow. Okay, another Red Wings one that we imagined was going to get done. There is a lot to get to. I'm going to have to... And this is what's going to end up happening here. I have this color cast stuff going on right now, as you're hearing, and then I have the audio recorder that I'm using. So I'm going to take that full audio recording audio in that chat box right now that has the hopeless sports guy and all that stuff. This is going to be posted in its entirety. So all my notes and everything else will be finished by then and all of it will be posted in the entirety. So if you need to get clear audio and all that stuff will be there. I'm going to go ahead and go back to this because there's still some TBAs in here. There's a lot coming in late. But this was the one that I wanted to get to. 
This was already confirmed. Another big move for the New York Rangers. So we talked about the Winnipeg Jets making a couple moves in Sanford and Mason Appleton and keeping some of those guys back. Well, Andrew Kopp is going to the New York Rangers. Andrew Kopp, 56 games played, 13 goals, 22 assists, 35 points. Career, 467 games played, 74 goals, 110 assists, 184 points for the former Michigan Wolverine. The only issue I have with Andrew Kopp from what I heard and what they talked about on NHL Network is concussion issues. I think he's one of those guys that fit solidly on the second or third line, whether he'd be a center, really good at winning draws, winger, scoring goals. He's a plus player. That's really good for the New York Rangers. I would be very surprised, again, if the playoffs started today, we're going to get to those too. If the playoffs started today, I believe it's going to be Pittsburgh and New York against each other. That's pretty salty. New York's made a lot of moves. I like the moves that they've made, but they're saying right now, Andrew Kopp to the New York Rangers. So, I want to get into this too, and then we're going to do some standings, we're going to do some point totals, and we're going to do if the playoffs started today, and then we're going to go ahead and do some of the last moves, if that sounds good with everybody else. So those are all the official moves with all the notes in there. I didn't want to just beat all the other stuff to ad nauseum without having any actual details, because I don't think that serves anybody anything. So... Eastern Conference standings. This is all up to date going into the deadline tonight. So the Florida Panthers, they, we're going to go with the Atlantic Division, so east to west. Florida Panthers lead the Atlantic Division. 62 games played, 42 wins, 14 losses, 6 overtime losses, 90 points. They're the best in the East right now. They traded for Claude Giroux. That was one of the big ones. I have a, I have a little note on side of the records as well, just so everybody knows. Tampa Bay Lightning, second in the Atlantic, 61 games played, 39 wins, 16 losses, 6 overtime losses. Good for 84 points. Tampa Bay, I really don't care, and I really don't think they do in terms of where they finish in the standings, because we talked about it being in toward the latter end of it last year and then winning the whole thing. So I don't think that they care. I think you just want to go ahead and try to be healthy and then make your run when you get into the postseason. I know that's the obvious statement, but I think that's what Tampa Bay has got to be looking for. They're looking for that re the three-peat, and they traded for Brandon Hagel. Toronto Maple Leafs on the other side of things. 39 wins, 18 losses, 5 overtime losses, 62 games played for 83 points. Has Eric, has, has Eric Shelgren solved the goalie woes for Tampa Bay? And they also traded for Mark Giordano. I'll put that in there as well, because I have to add that. So, Toronto Maple Leafs, third right now in the Atlantic. 83 points, and you know what? They have a little bit more room to move up. I, I can't say for certain that Toronto's done moving as far as that standings is done, but they're going to be in the playoffs. I know there's always a lot of intrigue, and there's a lot of... Uh, newspaper trail in Canada as far as when they win one game you throw a parade and when you lose one game you say they're the worst team of all time. The Toronto Maple Leafs and the side of things and I, I will use this comparison the fans kind of feel hopeless like the Detroit Lions as far as you just win one you're going to throw a massive parade that's how it is in Toronto. I feel like this team is really really good but we're going to talk about their chances going forward. So the Metropolitan Division leaders Carolina Hurricanes, 62 games played, 41 wins, 15 losses, 6 overtime losses, 88 points. They lost 3 straight. They are still 2nd in the East, 
They are third overall right now in the East. Second in the East and third overall in the NHL. So Carolina Hurricanes, a little bit silent going into the deadline. I think that maybe gives you pause. I've done a quite a few, I think three Hurricanes games on ColorCast. Again, if you go on the website blog, you can see the games I've done and things like that. There's stories, write-ups, play-by-play, it's all there. I really like the Carolina Hurricanes between Aho, Svechnikov, Tara Vine, and Jacob Slavin. I think Jacob Slavin's one of the best. They got it done with Freddie Anderson in goal. You know, I talked about it before many times. Maybe they cheaped out with Alex Nedeljkovic and Peter Morazic, but boy, I think they got it right there with Peter Morazic. He doesn't even really know where the posts are if you follow some of this stuff with Steve Dangle on the Sportsnet side of the broadcast. So I think they got that one right in the end. Maybe they're up against the cap. Maybe they don't feel like they can make some other big moves. If we go back in toward the end of this before I close it out, we'll see if they do. But they've been strangely silent. The New York Rangers, 63 games played, 40 goals, 18 losses, 5 overtime losses, 85 points. Acquired Frank Vitrano. They've uh, made some big other moves that I'll have to mention here as well. I want to mention this. Igor Sesterkin in goal, 30 wins, 8 losses, 3 overtime losses, a 205 goals against, and a 938 save percentage. And that 205 goals against is over from the, the streak from the last couple of weeks for Sesterkin. Look, he's always been solid, but Sesterkin's been mind-blowing before that. He fell off a little bit, and I'm not saying fall off as far as not good enough and all that. Still only giving up a goal or two a game, but he wasn't giving up anything. So the fact that his goals against went from about, I want to say, 185 to 205, but he still had a 938 save percentage, just told you how good Igor Sesterkin is. And if he doesn't win the Vesna, I'd be very, very surprised. And... uh on the other side of things with Gorgiev, and I don't blame them, and I don't, I, I, do, I feel bad a little bit for Gorgiev, but what do you, what can you do? Your, fr- your fellow countryman and your Sesterkin is playing so well that Gorgiev has to uh, back up in the pipes. But that's just the way it is. Does Gorgiev get moved in the off season? Do they try to figure out a way for a trade? Because Sesterkin, I don't blame New York if they want to go ahead and, and have two good goaltenders, but can they afford to have both? I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Gergiev is going to have to start at some point. Adam Fox, he was my uh, Norris candidate. I think some of his points have fallen off a little bit, but I still really believe in Adam Fox. They turned him into a legitimate top-line defenseman that anybody would love to have. 59 games played, 9 goals, 53 assists, 62 points. Why does the NHL not have an assist trophy? I have no idea. Pittsburgh Penguins, 63 games played, 38 wins, 16 losses, 9 overtime losses, 85 points. My only question for Pittsburgh is this, and I know it's a bland one, but I'm just going to mention it anyway. Can the core still carry? Can Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, I mean, Tristan Jari has been excellent in net for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's everything that they could have asked for. He's got through the injuries. They figured it out. Pittsburgh shot way up in the standings ever since Crosby, Malkin, and Letang have returned. Crosby, Malkin again from the injuries. COVID stuff a couple times. Uh, Pittsburgh's jumped all the way up. Yes, they're going to be in the playoffs. Yes, they will always be a tough out. But the last couple of first-round exits... For Pittsburgh, they want to improve on that. Can they still carry? Can they still get it done? Do I still believe, and I'm going to tell you this honestly, as a Detroit fan and all that from the area, it's going to be Red Wings or die for me because you, you can't ever fall away from that. 
the the rivalries that they've had against Pittsburgh when they came back and punched us in the face, we punched them in the face. You know, back-to-back cups within 2008, 2009 we could have had that was lost in Game 7 from the flower with an unbelievable save there in the blue line. Is Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin still the best one-two punch in the league? You might say I'm biased. I'm still going to say yes. I'm still going to say yes. Whether or not Stamkos, Kucherov, or whoever else you want to throw out there, you can call me crazy, and I will take it in the comments section. That's fine. I'm still going to say yes. Wild card looks like this. The Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals. I don't need to go on a limb here and say that the wild card is not going to move. Maybe the teams within the wild card will move, but everybody else that's on the outside looking in is going to be tapping on that glass waiting to be invited in the party, and the invite's never going to be sent because they just can't catch up in the standings. The Boston Bruins, 62 games played, 38, 38 wins, 19 losses, 5 overtime losses, 81 points. Again, Boston Bruins, big one there. Hampus Lindholm from Ducks and Jeremy Swayman. My goodness. If you're talking about Calder contention, look, that might already be taken there from Tanner Janot or Lucas Raymond from the Red Wings or Mord Sider. I think Mord Sider is probably the lock, and that's not being biased. I think he's... One of the best defensemen that Eisman could ever picked up. Maybe you can say in the argument from a couple of years ago that he could have been available and you could have got somebody else. But Mort Sider, that was a slam dunk. Jeremy Swayman, I want to make the note though, he has been absolutely unbelievable for the Boston Bruins. When you're thinking about goaltending, they tried to even go back there with uh, Tuka Rask, but he couldn't just go ahead through the, the injuries and he was done. They needed somebody that can go ahead. He went back into the AHL, came all the way back up. Jeremy Swayman has been absolutely golden there for the Boston Bruins. And every bit the reason why Boston is as good as they are, in my opinion. The Washington Capitals, 64 games played, 35 wins, 19 losses, 10 overtime losses. So a lot of games where Washington was able to sneak out a point. That's always important in the standings. They have 80 points right now. They've won 4 out of 5. They got that win against the Dallas Stars, which was big the other night, when Alex Ovechkin continues to get back on after passing Yarmir Yager to heat back up and get some goals. And we're going to go ahead and get the exact number here in a minute. So Washington Capitals, everybody already knows about the Caps, as far as Ovechkin, Oshie, Kuznetsov, Backstrom, John Carlson, Dmitry Orlov, that long veteran squad that's laden with a bunch of good players. Do they have enough to get it done once again? I love the Capitals. Everybody loves Alex Ovechkin, and if you don't, I don't know what sport you're watching. You're not watching hockey. I don't know if they get a chance to get it done again. I will say one thing, and this might be some hate there from the Capitals fans if you're in here. They might have gotten lucky playing Vegas in their expansion in the first round, but the Capitals had to go ahead and win it that year and get the job done, and they did. And Alex Ovechkin got his one. Can he get another one? I don't think so. But are the Capitals still one of those teams to be reckoned with? Yes. I don't think when you get into the playoff spot of things and you get into the power play that Alex Ovechkin is not just going to go ahead back and sit on that left face-off dot and wait for that pass to come from Kuz. <laughs> it is what it is. But if you allow that spot to be open, they're going to score, and the Capitals are going to be dangerous. Do I think they can win a couple rounds? Absolutely. Do I think they can win the whole thing? No, I don't. The rest of them that are going to be out, and who else is going to be moved in the deadline was the question. We'll get to the complete standings here. I'll just do this here for you. 
Columbus Blue Jackets, 32, 28, and 3, 67 points. Islanders, tough season. When you started with, what was it, the 14-game road stand when they're trying to build in that new building, they're going to bounce back next year. So the Islanders are sitting here at this point. They're already a game above 500 now, 26, 25, and 9, 61 points. They're going to bounce back. Detroit Red Wings, a little bit better season than people expected, but the goaltending and everything else has been atrocious over the last few, giving about 7 or 8 a game over the last few weeks. Uh, 25, 30, and 7, 57 points. Buffalo Sabres, a little bit better than people expected, I would imagine. 22, 33, and 8, 52 points. Got the win last night over the Canucks, which is bad on their part. Philadelphia Flyers, 20, 31, and 11, 51 points. Ottawa Senators, 22, 33, and 5, 49 points. Same thing for New Jersey, 49 points, same record. And Montreal Canadiens, 17, 36, and 9, 43 points. Again, the Titanic. You made the Stanley Cup final last year, and now you're in last. It happens. It's going to rebuild. A lot of people said that it was going to be a one-off there for the Montreal Canadiens to make that Cinderella run against the Maple Leafs. And people were right. They were right. Western Conference standings. Sounds like this. Your best team in the NHL. 62 games played. 44 wins. 13 losses. 5 overtime losses. 93 points. Home ice record. Used to belong to the best of the Florida Panthers. Now it's the Colorado Avalanche. 24-3-3. That's getting the damn job done there. Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon. Best record. Uh, more trades that we talked about. They've been, continued to improve. If the Colorado Avalanche don't win it this year, again, Detroit guy, but I'm going to say this, Colorado's got to win it this year. Get the job done. There might be some questions as far as goaltending and Francois and things like that. That's how it's always been within the last couple of years with Colorado, but on offense and defense, there is no questions. Figure it out. They were the odds-on favorite for the last two years. They're odds-on favorite this year. They've got to get the job done right now this year and finish it off. You don't want that President's Trophy curse. Win this Stanley Cup. St. Louis Blues, 34, 18 and 9, 77 points. They've lost three straight. They Now they got Nicoletti, and we'll talk about it. I'll add that into the notes. Here's a question for me for St. Louis Blues. It's not whether or not they can score or play defense. I want to know who's going to be in net. Is it going to be Ville Husso or is it going to be Jordan Biddington? Husso's 15, 5 and 4. Doing really good at the backup spot. Jordan Bennington started, remember, a couple of years ago. They were last place in January, and then they won the Cup. So that was the, the best run of all time for the St. Louis Blues. Jordan Bennington, 13-12-4, so he hasn't quite had the same kind of magic. I'm not sitting here and saying Jordan Bennington's bad. I'm just wondering who is going to start for San, Ho or San Jose, St. Louis if... Because they're going to probably get in the playoffs, but who's going to start that playoff series? Is it going to be Husso or Bennington? That's the question. Minnesota Wild, now there's no question who they're going to start. 60 games played, 36 wins, 20 losses, 4 overtime losses, 76 points. Yes, they're all in. They can score, but can they defend? I don't know if they can defend. They could definitely score. That was my question mark going into it. We certainly know who's going to start now in the playoffs. That's the flower, Marc-Andre Fleury. That's going to be a big one there. I'm going to add that in there as well. So... Pacific Division, this one is really, really tight for certain teams in here. I'm going to tell you why. So the first one that's leading is the Calgary Flames. I thought they've had an excellent, excellent year. 
62 games, played 38 wins, 16 losses, 8 overtime losses for 84 points. I love the addition there of Daryl Sutter. I love bringing in Kelly Arncroft, Tyler Toffoli. Made a lot of sense there. They had a crap ton of makeup games that they had to make up from the COVID pause and all of that, where they're playing pretty much every other night, winning games, getting the job done. It was an absolute wonderful effort there from Jacob Markstrom all year. Goaltending is excellent. Balance is excellent. I believe that they could score. I think they're one of the deepest teams, and I think they're one of the most well-balanced teams. Again, this is a Canadian team, so who knows whether or not you succumb to the pressure, but the Scotiabank and Calgary Settle Dome should be absolutely rocking. If the Calgary Flames have to play the Colorado Avalanche in the first round, who knows? That one's going to be tough, and Daryl Sutter said as much as maybe this is going to be all for nothing at that point. That could be the case, but that might be one of the only teams in the West, and I, I mean this wholeheartedly, one of the only teams in the West that can give them that kind of trouble. I really do buy into the Flames. I think that they're a good team, and I think that they can do some damage. The Los Angeles Kings, this is where it gets tight. 34 wins, 22 losses, 8 overtime losses for 76 points. It's been rough for the Kings, and it's not because of the record and things like that. They've done really, really well. If you go back into the start of the year that we talked about a lot with the California Road, California teams, with the Anaheim Ducks, the San Jose Sharks, and the LA Kings, there was a point this year where all three teams were in playoff contention. Right now, the Kings have still stayed in playoff contention, but this is why it's so tough, because over the last four or five days, you know, losing Victor Arvidsson, losing some defensemen. They don't even have enough bodies to play games. They're beat up. They don't have a lot of games in hand. Do I really believe that the Kings, they, a lot of people are saying right now, the Kings are firmly in a playoff spot. But when you're looking at the wild card right now, and we're going to get to that in a second, they're not firmly in a playoff spot right now. And it's not, it's not their fault. It really is not. It's just you get beat up. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes, like the Kings did, they had to trade a seventh-round pick to get Troy Stetcher from Detroit. And Troy Stetcher hasn't played a whole lot, but he's going to have to fit right in and play because they need defensemen. They need forwards. So they should probably can consider to make a couple other small moves just to keep things going. I really like the Kings. I like what they've done. Their young goaltending, uh, Cal Peterson, is the question mark for me. That's their future right now, but is that the future that they want going forward? Again, you still have Drew, Drew Doughty and Anze Kopitar. You have some of the other veteran mixes in there with Quentin Byfield. Some Tobias uh, Bornfoot in there, Sean Dursey, got some, got some good young defensemen in there with Anderson. They've, they've done really, really well, but can they sustain it and can they survive being beat up to get into the postseason with not having games in hand is going to be the question. So, Ken Holland, again, I bring to this point. It's always nice when you leave the Red Wings after you empty the cupboard and then you go ahead and join McDavid and Drysaddle, but hey... Who knows? That's that's what you want. I, I don't blame them. 62 games played, 35 wins, 23 losses, 4 overtime losses, 74 points. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl are hard candidates. But is it enough? That That's the only question I have for you. Is it enough? The Edmonton Oilers, they don't have a lot of depth. The move that they made right now for Kulak, maybe that's one. But a, a, a second round pick for that is very, very puzzling. Will they stay? Who knows after that? Will Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl stay? If you traded, and I'm not saying he ever would, but there was some rumors about that. Hell, there was some rumors at the time that Steve Eisenman could have been moved 
to the Ottawa Senators when they became an expansion franchise. If you traded Connor McDavid, you would get a haul, but then you would also probably have a mutiny there at Rogers Center, Rogers Place. But who knows if it's enough? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Those two guys are excellent. They're the two best players in the league. I would say they have probably two of the top five players in the league at worst. If McDavid is the best, then Drysdale's probably third, fourth, or fifth. I really believe that. But two guys are not enough to carry your whole depth when you look at the rest of the stuff. And we did a, I did a few of those games in there with the Edmonton Oilers. Go ahead and look up their... Uh, Points production for the rest of their players, not named between Drysaddle and McDavid, it gets really sketchy. If you're having to hope for uh, Derek Ryan and Stefan and some of these other guys in there, you're not going to do too well because everybody's going to be shutting down McDavid and Drysaddle as much as they can. I'm not saying they can be shut down in the playoffs, but try to as much as they can. So it's going to be up to the rest of the depth, and I just don't believe that they have it. But right now, they're going to be in the playoffs, and they're going to need to do some damage. And at some point, you got to surround McDavid and Drysdale with some better talent because you're not going to get better players than that. Here's a good one here for me. I know everybody talks about the customary hanging, uh, let's see, uh, hanging the banners of participatory records. That is the Nashville Predators in a nutshell. Oh, participation trophy. Oh, we won this. Oh, we have the best janitors. That's a lot of the stuff that used to go on with the Detroit Pistons on the basketball side. The Nashville Predators have uh, had a lot of that on the hockey side. They're a really good team, though. 62 games played, 36 wins, 22 losses, 4 overtime losses, 76 points. You say Soros? Excellent. Heavy, heavy workload, though. 30 wins, 19 losses, 3 overtime losses, 247 goals against, and 923 save percentage. I like the Predators. I like the fact that I really believe, and they did with the second round pick today, which I, I thought was a lot to try to improve some of that stuff on defense and forwards. I believe that they can win a couple rounds. I think that's probably their, their probably the peak point. But they're a good team. And I don't know how they continue to do this. But between, you know, losing Shea Weber and things like that that we talked about from years ago. Look, I get it. But when you bring in Fabro, you, you develop Roman Yossi. Nashville, no matter what it is, every single year they have a good defensive pool that they can bring in, cultivate guys, and they have solid, at worst, top four, top six defensive pairings that they can always plug in and figure that out. Whether or not you say Soros is going to survive the rest of the year, and I say that a lot with Jake Ottinger on the Dallas side of things, who knows? But Nashville is one of those teams. Look, everybody joked with them with uh, Matt Duchesne. He sucks. He's not going to have the same kind of resurgence. Uh, they got that one right. They got Ryan Johansson right. They got some of these other forwards in there right. Is Nashville going to have enough money to be able to pay Philip Forsberg? He's going to command a lot of money coming into the offseason. I think that's one of the questions that the Predators are going to have to face amongst themselves, and we'll see what happens. Now, whether or not, and I liked this team going into it, and I was on record with some of the shows, you can look back onto it, that when the Vegas Golden Knights had their expansion, I said they were going to be a playoff team. If I went to Vegas and I bet money the fact that they were going to be a playoff team, I would have made a lot. Now, I'm not going to sit here and bullshit you and say I thought that they were a Stanley Cup playoff team. Hell no, I didn't think that they were going to make a final, but I thought that they were going to make the playoffs, and they did in the first year. But now in their fifth year, the Vegas Golden Knights, 64 games played, 34 wins, 26 losses, 4 overtime losses, 72 points. 
They're beat up, and they also have no games in hand. Question lately is, are they going to miss the playoffs for their first time in their history, in their young history at that? Mark Stone is probably one of the best two-way forwards that we have in the NHL. He can... He plays the 200-foot game, he can score goals, he can play defense, he can do everything else. William Carlson is excellent. There was some rumors whether or not they were going to move on from Riley today. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening, and I'll get you some of those other late aspects of it as well. Vegas isn't dangerous right now, but the only thing that they can continue to do is win games. And if they can do that, and if Jack, Jack Eichel comes back, and if he's healthy, he just got injured again, but it's going to be a minor one, I believe, for about a week. If they can come back and win some games, who knows? I will forever say this to you, though. I never understood signing Robin Leonard to an extension and letting go of Marc-Andre Fleury, considering everything that he did for that expansion franchise. He pretty much brought them to the precipice. They made it there the first year. The misfit line and everything else was good. Again, they've always looked for the next big move in terms of being able to get to that point and win it. I don't think Vegas is good enough to be able to do that anymore. And the reason why they're sitting out right now is because they're always trying to make that next big move. And at some point, all the luxuries and all the goodwill and fortune and everything else that you were able to, and I'm going to be quite honest with you, I'm not going to be... Um, mean about this, but this is just the way that it was with the Vegas Golden Knights. I thought that they were put on a much better pedestal to have a much better team than the Seattle Kraken. One, because you wanted to have Vegas immediately have that show there. And I went to the one one of the games there last uh, a couple of years ago when they still had everything else before COVID. During March Madness, I saw the Red Wings and the Golden Knights. T-Mobile is a wonderful arena, and I laughed to the bank when... Uh, Dylan Larkin was able to get the overtime winner, <laughs> and we still had Mantha there. But uh, T-Mobile is a wonderful arena. They had the same kind of luxuries to be able to get everything else awarded to them in Vegas. And look, the GMs and everybody else didn't know what players to protect. They didn't quite know how sending up and sending down works. I don't think all of them did. And I think Vegas was set up better. Seattle was not. But Vegas, to their credit, they've taken advantage of it. They've had a competitive team. It's been fun. It's a wonderful place to watch a game. Again, if you have a chance to go down there, especially during February and March, especially during March, during March Madness and things like that, if you love the basketball tournament, do it. It's going to be a little bit of a, a little bit expensive, but it's a wonderful venue and it's an excellent time. And uh, it's always a packed house because you have road fans and home fans. So in the hunt. No, I didn't put this on the other side for Eastern because nobody else is in the hunt besides Boston and Washington. In the hunt, Dallas Stars. 61 games played, 34 wins, 24 losses, 3 overtime losses, 71 points. Good thing for Dallas, they have games in hand, about 3 games in hand is that. Mononucleosis for Miro Heiskanen, one of their better defensemen, likely keeps John Klingberg around. And again, if I go ahead and refresh these trades and I'm going to be absolutely shocked if John Klingberg is gone now because you can't. When when Heiskanen's out, who's replacing him? Klingberg's the only other one you have left. So my question was this. Does Dallas want to go for this this year or do they want to go ahead and rebuild? I, I'm on the precipice right now of the fact that they want to go ahead and go for this. Jake Ottinger, I thought it's been absolutely spectacular. 20 wins, 10 losses, 1 overtime loss, a 9.16 save percentage. I like the fact that they traded for Scott Wedgwood today because I think Jake Ottinger would probably die if he didn't get some time off. 
uh, it was a good move for Dallas. They're in the hunt. The only question for Stars fans is anytime Dallas in the, is in the hunt and they have pressure put against them, will they wilt or will they, you know, diamond, <laughs> rise like a diamond there, pressure, burst pipes and things like that. Will it work or will it not? In Dallas, I feel like they're going to get in. Somebody else is going to have to move out. That could be Vegas. With the games in hand and just one point behind Vegas with three games in hand, I'm going to go ahead and say Dallas will get in and Vegas will miss. That is my thought right now. Dallas has the opportunity in front of them with three games in hand. They've got to take advantage of it. One team that's fallen out, and I'm a little bit shocked at this because they were on such a heater there with Bruce Boudreaux and the Bruce there it is chance and all that. The former Boston Bruins coach going back to Vancouver now off of that, and he's done very well, but of late they've struggled. 30 wins, 26 losses, 8 overtime losses. They dropped another bad loss there to the Buffalo Sabres the other night, 64 games played. Of that, they'd won 7 of 13 at that point. Now, Thatcher Demko is a stud. He's one of the best goalies that you have in all of the NHL. I really believe that. But is this team good enough? Now, the Canucks, they made an excellent move there, I thought, in getting rid of uh, Travis Hamannick's $3 million up to the next year for Ottawa, that defenseman, get it for a third-round pick for it, and then be able to get that for Dermott on the other side as a younger defenseman and Travis Dermott from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Made a lot of sense for the Canucks. Now look, if the Canucks don't make it this year, they have some questions. And this is only in the sense of they could trade J.T. Miller today. That could be some J.T. Miller has been excellent. But you have to sign Bo Horvat. You have to sign Elias Pettersson. You have to sign Brock Besser. You have to figure out what you're still going to do and how long they're going to stay. Signing Quinn Hughes on defense, maybe also uniting with one of his brothers. I think Quinn Hughes is going to be stuck in Vancouver, but Luke and uh, the other one there for the Michigan Wolverines right now is going to be both in New Jersey this this coming year. But between Pedersen, Horvat, Brock Besser, Oliver ekman Larson, Quinn Hughes, you need that extra money right there to sign. So the Vancouver Canucks, I thought, did a great job of moving Hamannick. I don't know if they're going to be able to get into the playoffs now because they keep losing games that they should win. Vegas was doing that earlier, and now they've won the last couple, but the Canucks have fallen apart as far as winning some of those games they should win. So the Winnipeg Jets, they're one of those bubble teams as well. Again, they traded away Andrew Kopp today, but they picked up... Um, couple extra moves in there that we talked about from earlier there, one of them being Mason Appleton once again. 63 games played, 29 wins, 24 losses, 10 overtime losses, 68 points. They got out from under that Brian Little contract, which was good for them because I don't think he's ever going to be able to play again. They got some key pieces still. When you're talking about Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler, Appleton, some of the other guys on defense, and Connor Hellebuck being still one of the best goalies in the NHL, he has been down but I wouldn't count him out. He's a former Vezina winner. It's probably too late for the Winnipeg Jets, and maybe they knew they couldn't sign Cop. but Kyle Connor is absolutely freaking excellent. Again, another one of those Michigan Wolverines that's doing a lot of damage there. Absolutely excellent. So maybe they couldn't hold on to Cop. but to be able to have Wheeler, Shifley, Kyle Connor, Hellebuck, Mason Appleton, you have pieces for a lot of teams that they wish they had. 
So the Winnipeg Jets, I really believe in them. I don't think that they're going to be able to make it this year. They have a couple games in hand which will help, but they really have to get on their horse and they have to win down the stretch in order to be able to get in, and that might be against them at this point. They're going to miss Cop, but we'll see if a couple other pieces they brought in is just enough to get them into the postseason. Is it enough for them to you know, win more than a round? Maybe Hellebuck will steal one. That I'm not quite sure, but maybe. If the Jets can get on their horse, they can win it, but I would say the Canucks are out. Dallas probably gets in over Vegas, and Winnipeg will wait and see. That's my thoughts right now. So, the Anaheim Ducks, man, that's a, a sad state of affairs there. They were in the second in the Pacific for a long time, and then they just lost eight in a row and fell out. Uh, 27, 26, and 11, 65 points. Traded Lindholm, you know, they, they started the sell package. The San Jose Sharks, they were there for a moment too. 27, 27, and 8, 62 points. I think the San Jose Sharks probably feel like the Philadelphia Flyers do, and I think the Sharks probably have a better chance of feeling that way rather than I think the Flyers should. But they signed Tomas Hurdle to that eight-year extension. So the Sharks probably feel like a little bit of rebuilding and they can get back into the playoffs because when you're signing that guy to an eight-year extension, that's really good. And Tomas Hurdle is an excellent, excellent player. Don't get me wrong. But that is a big extension for a team that might have a little bit of rebuilding still left to do. So we can take this question off for the Chicago Blackhawks, whether or not Marc-Andre Fleury is moving, because he did. Uh, 22, 32, and 9, 53 points. Hagel was moved from Tampa Bay for players and picks. Again, you had the investigation during the season. Not so great for the Chicago Blackhawks, but I still think of it this way. You have Dylan Strome. You have Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze. And it's going to be a really good opportunity, especially with Alex Dabrinkit. He's absolutely fantastic. It's going to be a good opportunity for them to still hold on to some of their better forwards that they got in the league and then figure out from the first-round picks to be able to move on from that. Because I couldn't tell you anyone that wouldn't want Kane, Taze, Strom, or Dabrinkit. Fight me on that one. Who wouldn't want any of those guys? The Arizona Coyotes, 20-38-4, 44 points. Uh, is probably getting a contract extension and goal for the Coyotes, and that's going to be good for him. He's done an excellent job there. That team has won some games of late. I think Arizona, we'll see what happens moving into the University Stadium and things like that. Not as many in the seating, but Arizona, hopefully they can get it together with uh, some of the other pieces and things that they'll have going forward. And the absolute worst team in the league, in my opinion, the Seattle Kraken. 19-38-6, 44 points, the worst in the West. And again, not the same fortune of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, again, we talked about it. It's one of those ones where they didn't have all the same opportunities that Vegas did. I think the GMs were smarter about the players that they should move down in order to have to keep and protect. But Seattle did not go after Carey Price. They did not go after Vladimir Tarasenko. There was a couple of the pieces that they could have taken to be able to move for capital. They did not. It's going to be at least three more years for Seattle with a lot of picks. Matty Beniers is not going to be able to save them as the second pick going into, going into next year. They got a lot of work to do. To be able to have them move that for all those picks made a lot of sense for Seattle. That's going to have to continue. So, a couple more things here for me. Uh, let's go to this. League leaders, goals, assists, points, and then we're going to go into the playoff start of the day. So, league leaders, skaters, goals, Rocket Richard, Austin Matthews, 46 goals, Leon Dreisettle, 41, Chris Kreider, 41 from the Rangers. They're having an excellent year. Alex Ovechkin, 40, Kyle Connor, 38. 
Assists, the NHL doesn't have a trophy for this, and I don't know why. They need to introduce one. Jonathan Huberdo, absolutely fantastic. 65 assists, Roman Yossi, 58. Artemi Panarin, 56. Again, another Ranger having an excellent year for Chicago Blackhawk. Connor McDavid, 55. Adam Fox, 53, still on that list. Points for the Art Ross. Connor McDavid, 90. Jonathan Huberdo, 86. Leon Dreisettle, 86. Goudreau, 80. And Austin Matthews, 79 for the Maple Leafs. Goaltenders. Wins. Whether or not you think that this is a stat that is overblown or not. 48 games played for Vasilevsky. He's got 32 wins, 12 losses, 4 overtime losses. Tristan Jari. 49 games played, 31 wins, 12 losses, 6 overtime losses. Frederick Anderson. 30. That's wrong. We're not going to do that there. <laughs> so he's got 30 wins. Okay, so 30 wins for Anderson. 42 games played, 30 wins, 10 losses, 2 overtime losses. Igor Sesterkin, 30 wins, 41 games played, 30 wins, 8 losses, 3 overtime losses. Sergei Bobrovsky, 41 games played, 30 wins, 6 losses, 3 overtime losses. Yusei Saros, 52 games played, 30 wins, 19 losses, 3 overtime losses. Goals against, part of that Vezina, I would think more than anything else. Sesterkin, 2.5. Markstrom 2.7, Anderson 2.8, Swayman 2.10, and Tristan Jari 2.28. So right after that, Swayman, that's really bumped up a little bit. But there's been some really good goaltenders. There was Sesterkin and Markstrom and Anderson leading the way. Sesterkin especially, my goodness, out of nowhere. Save percentage, Igor Sesterkin, 9.38. That's where he separates himself from everyone else. Frederick Anderson and Jacob Markstrom are tied at 9.28. Ilya Sorokin of the Islanders, 9.27, and Vil Husso of the St. Louis Blues, 926. Jacob Markstrom, nine shutouts. Sorokin, six. Darcy Kemper, five for the Colorado Avalanche. Tristan Jari, four. Mark Andre Fleury, four. We're going to have to change his team now to Minnesota with four and Jack Campbell with four. So, one other thing I wanted to get to before the last few trades, and then we will close this out. So, if the playoffs started today, who would win and what is interesting? Let's get into it. Florida Panthers and the Washington Capitals. Boy, oh boy, that's a good one there. Uh, again, seven-game series. I like the Washington Capitals. But with that goaltending matchup, there was Sergei Bobrovsky on the other side of it. With the depth that they have, there's some questions now with Aaron Ekblad. Whether or not he's going to be there, but the additions of Claude Giroux, adding Robert Haig or something else like that to go ahead and fix that stuff up there with Forsling. I will say Florida wins that series over Washington. Maybe I'll give Washington a little bit of a fight, and I'll say six games Florida dispatches the Washington Capitals. Wow, this is a brutal one. Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm sorry, Leafs fans. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning in Toronto. I love the additions of Mark Giordano. I love some of the stuff there that they wanted to add in there and some forward help. I, I get it. Toronto is an, an excellent offensive team. I would say Toronto is the best offensive team in the entire league in the NHL. Are they good enough to beat Tampa? I will never. I got the, I got the one upset right a couple of years ago when Columbus upset Tampa during the bubble side of things. But right now, after that, and that point where they were angry, I will never pick Tampa Bay over Toronto in a playoff series. I'm not going to sit here and be disrespectful and say Toronto can't get a couple games, but I would be shocked if Toronto didn't dispatch 
if Tampa Bay didn't dispatch Toronto in six games or fewer, maybe even five, Toronto gets a game. But unless Eric Shelgren, and we'll see right now within the last few games, if Eric Shelgren is able to play up to the point of a comparable NHL goalie, we could have a seven-game series on our hands where I would take Tampa. But right now, I would say Tampa in six, but I'd be shocked even if they don't beat them in five at this point. Notwithstanding with Eric Shelgren, because if he gives them competent goaltending, which is all Toronto could need, we could have a really good, interesting series on our hands. But still, within the first two, I'm going to take the favorites in Florida and Tampa Bay. Carolina and Boston. This is an interesting one. I've said many times... I think Carolina is one of my favorite teams in the Eastern Conference. I think they're one of the best up and down the lineup right now. This could be one of those times where Carolina is just going through a little bit of a struggle as far as where they're going to be right now before the playoffs go in, where you go in a little bit of a lull and then you rise back up. Boston, on the other hand, they've been hotter than a firecracker within the last few, and who knows, maybe they can go through this wild card spot. I love the Lampus Lindholm signing some of the other things that they've done if Swayman continues to play great in goal and Boston with part of their perfection line in there with uh Pasternak Bergeron Brad Marchand Jake DeBrusque in there as well Charlie McAvoy on defense I would not be surprised you know what I'll change my pick I'll take Boston and I say they win in a seven game series even though I don't want to take all favorites I'll take Boston in a seven-game series. I think that that could be an absolutely uh, wonderful game. Right now, they're showing the regular season, and Carolina has absolutely slapped the hell out of Boston. They've won three straight. I don't see that continuing. Again, Carolina's not playing like the same team. If I had to pick and just right over it, I would say Carolina would win. But if I want to go fork to my nose, I'll make it interesting. I'll say Boston in a seven-game series. The Rangers in Pittsburgh, I like that one too. The Rangers, they made some excellent, excellent moves. If they get the same kind of goaltending from Igor Sesterkin that they've been getting all year, nobody's beating them right now. But Pittsburgh's not beating them. I like Crosby and Mulkin. I've said they, I think they're still the best one-two punch we got in the NHL, even though they're getting a little long in the tooth. Nobody's still better than them. But my edge is still with the Rangers at least in six. I'll, I'll, give, I'll be nice with Pittsburgh and I'll give them a game. I'll give them at least a game. They're not going to lose any earlier than five, but I'll go Rangers in six on that end of it. I like the depth for New York. Gerard Glantz, an excellent coach. Damn, this is a good matchup too right now if the playoffs started today. Calgary and Nashville. I'm not going to go against what I said earlier. Nashville's played, early, Nashville's played well. They're a good wildcard spot. I still think Calgary's too deep. I love the moves that they've made early with Yarncrock and Tyler Toffoli and getting some of the stuff earlier today as well. Makes a lot of sense. I will take Calgary, and I will take them comfortably. I think they win in five games, Calgary. I could I could see a, I could maybe see a seven-game series, but I, I do think Calgary would have enough to be able to overpower them with the goaltending, unless you say Soros. I will say one thing. If you say Soros is that wild card and he plays as well as he's done and Markstrom maybe has a couple of off games, maybe we could have a seven-game series on our hands. But I'll say Calgary wins in five. They're too good, too deep. They'll get the job done. This one I can't really judge right now. 
so I can't give you a definitive answer. I'll take Edmonton in the series. The Los Angeles Kings are too beat up right now. If they had to play the playoffs right now, they'd lose to Edmonton. No problem. I, I, that's what I would say. They've split the season series right now, but the Kings are too beat up. I like the Kings. I think they can get the job done if they were fully healthy. I can give you a grasp on that one, but I, I can't say much. Colorado and Vegas. Oh, boy. Vegas, if you can get Mark Stone back, you got a chance. Colorado is going to beat the living hell out of anyone else they play right now. I would envision a sweep, but I won't be disrespectful. I'll give Vegas a game. I say Colorado wins in five. Too good, too deep. The uh, Nathan McKinnon, Ratnan, you know about the defenseman, all that stuff with Cal McCarr. We talked about it all the way through. Colorado is just too good. Goaltending could be a little bit of an issue, but goaltending has been even more of an issue over Vegas now. They had to bring some other kids in there because Robin Leonard wasn't good enough to get the job done after they let go of the flower. St. Louis and Montreal. Or Montreal. St. Louis and Minnesota. Minnesota, Marc-Andre Fleury. They've they got the win-now mode. I love Minnesota and the fact that they can score. St. Louis is pretty good all around. Let's hope for a seven-game series. I'll say Minnesota wins that one. So I got a lot of competitive series here right now. Colorado, I don't. I think Colorado is going to dispatch them pretty quickly. If Edmonton-Vegas started right now, Edmonton-Vegas. If Edmonton-Kings started right now after the Colorado-Vegas, where I think Colorado beats them in uh, five games at, at most, if Edmonton and Kings starter right now, I think the Edmonton would win quickly. I don't think that's fair to judge. So I think the one series that could be really interesting is uh, Nashville and Cal Calgary. That has a potential to go deep. I think Boston and Carolina has a potential to go deep. Carolina's beat the ever-living hell out of Boston in the regular season series right now, but I think Boston, with some of the moves they've made and the way they've been playing, can get that a little more tight. Carolina hasn't been that great of late. And Pittsburgh and New York... New York probably wins that one in six. So that's if it started today. So let's close this out here. And I'm going to get some other notes. Hopefully these are all on TBA Watch. And if they are, it is what it is. So we're going to go ahead and do this right now. This is just going to be quick. So this was after the, the Nate Shar thing. So this is just going to be quick. This isn't in my notes. I'll do some typing and then we'll close it out right now. So San Jose Sharks, they get Anthony Bieto from the Rangers for forward Nick Merkley. The Vancouver Canucks pick up a fourth round pick from the Rangers for Tyler Mott. So the Rangers have been very, very busy. Richard Raquel is off from the Ducks now for a prospect, a 2022 second rounder, Zach Aston Reese and Dominic Simon. So the Penguins finally made a move to try to match up with every single move that the Rangers have been doing. Uh, Derek Broussard is headed to the Edmonton Oilers. We don't know what the actual term is yet. And player, I'm going to leave that out. Max Domi to the Carolina Hurricanes. Hurricanes finally responded. That's still TBA, so we're going to have to leave that one out. Vlad Nemestikov goes to the Dallas Stars for a fourth-round pick. Good on the Red Wings anyway because they weren't going to get anything for him. Uh, Ryan Carpenter to the Frames for a fifth-round pick for the Blackhawks. Goalie Michael McNiven from the Ottawa Senators. Future considerations. And Riley Nash to the Tampa Bay Lightning for future considerations for the Arizona Coyotes. And that's all I got right now is, is a 408. So this is going to be John Ott signing off. 
This was the NHL trade deadline special. I will get all those other notes in there and considerations going forward. So we talked about all the trades. We talked about division standings. And we talked about if the playoffs started today with the points and everything else. Let me know if you have any other questions, comments, and concerns as I get this uploaded. Talk to you guys soon, everybody. Peace out.